The following message was given at Trinity Bible Church in Powell, Wyoming. Let's go to the throne of grace together in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we come before you and we ask for your blessing upon us. We ask for your blessing upon us, not for our sakes, but for Christ's sake. Yes, indeed, for, for your people's sake, because you love us and you want us to be nourished in the faith, to grow. You nourish and cherish us, you feed us with your word, you love us, you seek our benefit. But ultimately, we ask this for your sake, O Christ. We pray specifically for our church, and we pray for the unity and peace of our church, that we would be of one mind, that we would be unified around the truth. Father, that you would continue to bless us with great peace and unity for the sake of Christ, that Christ would be honored and glorified. Pray for the protection of this church. We know that the evil one lurks and prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And we pray against that, Father. We pray for wisdom and for grace and for your blessing to be outpoured on us by your Holy Spirit. We thank you for how you have richly blessed us in the knowledge of Christ, in a growing maturity among the members, in elders and deacons. We are grateful for that. Father, we pray that you keep us from the evil one, you guard us against temptation, that we would not disqualify ourselves, that we would be found faithful. And that you would keep us by your grace, Father, for uh, we are not able in and of ourselves to walk in the path that you've called us. Uh, it must be your grace, so we ask for that. Father, we pray for the counseling ministry. We are grateful for having a, a pastor full-time and paid uh, that focuses on uh, primarily the counseling amidst other other duties uh, to which he has been called. But we're thankful that we are able to serve uh, your greater body in this region. We are thankful that we can evangelize through this ministry. What a wonderful opportunity to to give the gospel to those who are in desperate need, who are uh, simply just looking for some free counseling to help with their issues, uh, to be introduced to the gospel, some for the first time. We are grateful for that. We pray that that could continue, that you would bless that immensely. And Father, that the gospel could continue continue to go forth through this unique way in this community. We pray also for the outreach of our radio station. And talking with, really amazed at how many people encounter that and how many people are drawn towards you. Uh, both uh, unto salvation, conversion, and also unto sanctification, greater understanding of the scriptures. We're thankful for that. We pray that we can continue that, and that uh, we or we we can continue to reach this basin with uh, the truth, with uh, the scriptures. We are thankful for that. We're thankful for how you've used us. Uh, all of this is according to your sovereign will and pleasure, and certainly not uh, anything that uh, we have done in distinction from others, uh, for we are just fallen sinners like the rest, and yet you have uh, been so kind to us, you have poured your grace out, and we pray that you continue to do that for the sake of Christ and his church and 
for the sake of reaching the gospel in this region. And we do pray for uh, more churches to, to be planted in this region. Uh, churches that uphold uh, your word, that are firmly grounded in the meat of your word, that, that feed uh, your people on knowledge. We pray, Father, for this in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> Have you ever been benefited from somebody's high position? Uh, perhaps uh, you got off a traffic ticket because you knew the chief of police. Not to say that would be anybody in here. <clears throat> but there are some people that do uh, try to get out of tickets by saying, Hey, I know the sheriff. Hey, I know you know so-and-so. And you know, because of someone's position, they want uh, to have that benefit. Perhaps you got backstage passes uh, to a concert because you, your friend knew one of the band members or something like that. Or perhaps you got a good deal on a vehicle or piece of machinery because you knew the owner. When I lived in Omaha, uh, our, uh, we, we would go shop for cars at a particular dealership because my uncle was best friends with the owner. And so we would always get a discount. And at one point, uh, the salesman who sold me a particular car actually lied to me about some of the features it had. They said it had all these features, uh, one being analog brakes or something simple, which I come to find out it actually did not after two weeks of driving it. And so I, I wrote a letter to the company, and I knew the day it arrived because on my answering machine, yes, I used to have a landline, and kids, there used to be this thing called an answering machine where you actually can click on it and it would, you know, just give the message to you. And it was actually tied to the wall. It wasn't, you, you didn't have it in your pocket. And there were no less than four messages on my answering machine uh, saying, please come back. We're really sorry. And the owner himself called me and said, we're going to make this right. You come. So I came back. They gave me a free upgrade. And the salesman, I heard, got fired because of that. So I received a benefit because of somebody in a high position, in that case, the, the owner of this company. Uh, on the other hand, someone might use their position to harm you or to uh, promote themselves. And usually those two go hand in hand. In any case, what we see in today's passage is both. We see Esther use her high position and status before the king not for herself, but for the benefit and salvation of her people, even laying down her life for that purpose. On the other hand, we see the exact opposite. We see wicked Haman use his position to exalt himself and try to take the life of, a, of an innocent man. Seeing this helps us grow in our gratitude for our Savior who used His position to save us from our sins, to bring us to God. And this should then cause us to want to emulate our Savior in using the things that the Lord has blessed us with, our skills, our talents, positions, uh, abilities, not to promote or exalt ourselves, but for the blessing and benefit of others. So we're going to see two diametrically opposed glorious positions here. And the first is the salvation of others. The second is exaltation of self. So first, the salvation of others. And we see Esther arrive into the king's quarters when the king's sitting on his royal throne. 
Now, what needs to be emphasized here is that Esther is committing a capital offense. She is doing, she is breaking the law and doing something that requires the death penalty. Um, as Esther 4.11 said, all the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know there is that if any man or woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called, there is but one law to be put to death. This is what she is doing. In fact, uh, in the king's inner court, uh, flanked on either side of him were guards with an axe to chop off somebody's head who dared, tried to come into the king's presence. And so this is a really big deal. This is why she asked for the Jews and herself and her maidens would do the same to fast for three days so that her life perhaps would be spared. Because what she is doing here is walking to her own death. Now, we have the benefit of knowing the end of the story. She doesn't. And so when she walks in, she can expect to face death. And so she walks in. The king sees her. Thankfully, God was with her. As verse 2 says, when the king saw Queen Esther standing in the court, she won favor in his sight. And he held out to Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand. Then Esther approached and touched the tip of the scepter. So, again, she walks in to this inner court. Reasonable expectation of death. But the king, upon seeing her, extends his golden scepter. And what this is, is a sign of pardon. Not just welcome, but of pardon. Which means that the king knows, as well as she does, that she broke his law, and the only way out of it is to receive a pardon. And the way to symbolize it in that day was the king to extend that scepter out. And the way for the person to receive that pardon was simply to reach out their hand and touch the edge of that scepter. And brothers and sisters, this is what has happened to us before the King of kings and Lord of lords, whose law we have broken. Our God, who made a law based on His character, says that anyone who breaks it doesn't just get their head chopped off, they get something much worse. They get eternal conscious torment forever and ever. Our God created hell for those who have violated His law. And yet, we have received a pardon from God. We deserve to be cast into the eternal abyss. And yet, the King of Kings has extended His scepter to us as it will. And how do we receive a pardon? The same way Esther did. Not by any works, not by doing anything, but by simply stretching out our hands and receiving it. Stretching out that empty hand of faith and receiving for free, apart from any works, the pardon of the King who sovereignly has extended it to us. 
And in this passage, we also see how such a parting came about. We see Esther, who, who is a type of Christ. She had to lay down her life and come under the sentence of death in order to save her people. It all fell on her. She had the position and access to the king. She used that to save her people. Of course, she would have to risk her life to do so. And so it is with Christ. He was in the bosom of the Father, being the eternal Son, the only begotten of the Father. And He used His position, access to God, to bring us to Himself. And He didn't just risk His life. He truly laid down His life that we would be saved. That we would receive a pardon. Our Lord Jesus Christ did not receive a pardon. Remember, in he, he didn't need a pardon, but He was going to stand in our place. But remember in the garden, when He said, let this cup pass from me, if you will. Yet not as I will, but as you will, O Lord. What was that divine response? He had to drink the cup. There was no scepter, as it were, extended to him, but a cup extended to him for him to drink down to the dregs so that we would have a pardon extended to us. But also in this passage, I think we see a foreshadowing of the resurrection. Verse 1 gives us a time stamp of when Esther came into the presence of the king. It was on the third day. Of course, knowing the storyline of the Bible, anytime we hear the third day, we it, it it rings in our ear of the resurrection. Now that alone doesn't prove that it's pointing to the resurrection. But when you combine it when this when this happened, I think you see it because remember that the decree of death against all the Jews was issued on the thirteenth day of the first month, according to Esther three twelve. That was the day before the Passover. Lambs were selected, or before the Passover, lambs would be selected. The decree is sent out hurriedly and and put uh, the city of Susa into confusion, while the king and, ha- and Haman sat down to drink. Well, the, given how fast this decree was sent out, and Mordecai going out in mourning the next day, weeping loudly, that would have been on the day of Passover. And then it was on this day that after Esther and Mordecai had some interaction that she agreed to lay down her life, which coincidentally is on the day of Passover. And then three days later is when she comes into the presence of the king. And that would correspond to the resurrection of Christ. I don't think that's coincidental. It's too coincidental to to not point to Christ. Christ's resurrection declared that He had won favor in the sight of God, securing our full pardon. It's because of His resurrection that Christ has returned to the Father, to the presence of the King as our forerunner, receiving life and granting to us life. And because of His favored position, He accomplished the work that the Father has received that work by raising His Son from the dead, that we have been eternally saved. 
And so this favorable favorable position leads to having one's request granted by the king. Uh, We see in verse 3, the the king say to Esther, what is your request? Even up to half my kingdom. Now obviously, the king knows that Esther didn't risk her life for nothing. She obviously had a request that she wanted from the king. It was important. So he asks, what is it? And he says, even up to half the kingdom. Now this is not literal. This is uh, ancient Near Eastern hyperbole to say, I am very willing to grant even major things for you. But we also see a reflection of Christ in this. In Psalm 2, a psalm about Christ as King, the Father declares, You are my Son. Today I have begotten you. And as I've talked about in Hebrews, as we've gone through Hebrews, that is a psalm, that, 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 verse right there is talking about the resurrection of Christ. Acts 13 says that. It's the day that he was declared to be the Son of God in power, receiving all authority in heaven and on earth. And also in that psalm, today I have begotten you, uh, you are my son, today I have begotten you. He immediately goes on to say, ask of me, and I will give you the nation. See, because Christ has accomplished his work, He now receives the reward of his work, which is his people. The Father doesn't say even up to half the kingdom. The Father says, here is your kingdom. Here are your people. All your people who are saved from eternal destruction. Ask of me and I will give you the nations as as your heritage. Not only a people from the Jews, but also a people from the Gentiles. Christ receives his people. As Isaiah 53 says, uh, after he pours out his life into death, he shall see his offspring. He shall be satisfied, receiving his people as his reward upon returning to the Father. Now Esther does not make her request known right away. Esther humbly asks the king to attend a banquet that she has prepared for both the king and Haman. And so the king tells Haman, come quickly. She prepares this fantastic feast, including wine. We know how much the king loves wine based on what we've seen in Esther. And after the king has drunk the wine, he's more merry of heart. He asks her again, what is it that you want? And Esther begins to tell her request, verses 7 through 8. But then she breaks it off and says, come again tomorrow to another banquet. And I will tell you what my request is. And we have to wonder why she didn't just come out and say her request then. Uh, Did she get cold feet? Did she get scared? That's understandable given uh, what she is asking. Uh, Think about what she's going to tell the king. She's asking for an irrevocable law to be revoked. Remember that Haman had used signet ring to give this decree that was sent out to destroy the Jews. She would be implying that the king made a bad decision, which of course is risky, challenging one of his laws. She would have to let the king know that his right-hand man, whom he promoted to that position, has betrayed him and led him astray. Then she would also have to reveal to the king her true identity, that she's a Jew. What a way for the king to find out that his wife and queen 
is of the Jews. And so you can understand why she would get scared and get cold feet in the middle of her request. But I think a more likely understanding is that she's acting very wisely here. Uh, she keeps the king in suspense, not to play with him, but to let the king know that her request is very important, that she's not just going to blurt it out to the first instant she has a chance, that she's considered it, especially with such a bombshell. She wants to prepare the king for what she is about to drop on him by giving him some time to reflect upon it in his mind. In this, we see the wisdom that she exercises in saving her people. As the Proverbs talk about, it's not just the how you say it, it's when you say it as well. She was shrewd as a serpent and yet innocent as a dove. And of course, we see a reflection of the gospel in this as well. 1 Corinthians 1 says that the gospel is the wisdom of God. A Satan used his great craft to bring the fall of man. God uses a greater to bring the salvation of man. As we see in 1 Corinthians, the gospel is the wisdom of God. However, much different is the case with Haman. And this brings us to the second glorious position, and that is the exaltation of self. So after this very special party that only Haman and the king were invited to, and then he's going to get invited to a second one, he leaves giddy, verse 9 says, joyful of heart. But on the way out, he sees Mordecai. And Mordecai does not bow down to him or honor him. And of course, this makes him really angry. This sours his experience. Yet he did not let himself show this, but restrain himself. Then after this, he calls his friends over to come over for a visit, not to check on their welfare, but to talk about himself. He needed an audience. And verse 11 says he talked about three main things. First, the splendor of his riches. This is how much I have and how much I have obtained. Let me tell you about it. Second, how many sons he had. And this was a particular blessing in the ancient Near East. And this is diametrically opposed to the way our culture tends to think, tends to think of children as a burden rather than a blessing. Uh, even though raising children is a lot of work and requires much patience and endurance, yet Scripture testifies that they are a blessing from the Lord. On the other hand, there could be much pride when it comes to our children. Uh, like Haman, we can boast in the number of children we've had and how well our family looks. The third thing that Haman focuses on is his position at work or in life. He boasts of all the promotions he has over against his contemporaries. Other officials were not as honored as he is. And then he tops it off with the most impressive thing in verse 12. The queen let no one else but me come to the banquet. Oh, and I get to do it again tomorrow. He is just boasting in himself. And it is quite impressive. No one else in the kingdom had this privilege. But rather than giving God thanks for his sovereign ordaining of these blessings, he talks about how great he is. He uses his position and blessing not to bless others, 
but to prop up himself. The topic of conversation is not the welfare of others, rejoicing with those who rejoice, but talking about the most important person in his life, himself. Rather than considering the interest of others more important than himself, he talked about how he was blessed in his distinction, how he stood out. It's really surprising that he even has any friends. And his poor wife, too, has to hear all this. And she knows how many sons they have. She knows what their bank account is. And he sits there and talks and boasts and brags about this. And this kind of pride, beloved, exists in all of us, according to our fallen fleshly nature. But it's really satanic. Remember that Haman is in the line of the serpent. Going back to Genesis 3.15, there's two seeds. There's the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. And Haman is in the seed of the serpent. Mordecai is in the seed of the woman. So Haman is representing the pride. The pride of Satan whose heart was lifted up against God, wanting to be in God's position. However, this is never satisfying because we will never be God. We will never get everything we want. We cannot do all our pleasures. The case in point is when Haman goes on to say in verse 13, Yet all this is worth nothing to me so long as I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate. You just hear the seething coming out of his mouth. And listen to his words. All of this is nothing to me on account of one man. He had all this stuff. He had it all. And all of that was nothing because he didn't get his way in this one area. And this one area that soured everything is not being recognized not being affirmed by this one man. He felt criticized. He felt not affirmed or acknowledged. And it greatly affected him because he was walking in pride. And so he became his enemy and his focus and somehow needed to be stopped and punished. And so he was delighted to hear the counsel of his wife and his friends who said, Publicly shame him. Verse 14. Then his wife, Jerish, and all his friends said to him, Let a gallows fifty cubits high be made, and in the morning tell the king to have Mordecai hanged upon it. Then go joyfully with the king to the feast. This idea pleased Haman, and he had the gallows made. So they didn't just kill him. They said publicly punish him. Uh, gallows 50 cubits high would be 75 feet tall. That's almost seven stories high. That is insane. Gallows were not that tall back then. That's insane. People would be able to see it in the entire city. And that's the point. He hated his enemies so much. Not only do I want to see you hang. Really, it would be like getting impaled on a large pole. But I want everyone to see. I want to publicly shame you. I want this to be a public hanging. And so the thought of shaming, shamefully and publicly hanging his enemy to death 
For all the sea brought him great joy. And so he made this outrageously tall gallows, and he made it rather quickly. He made it overnight because we see in the book of Esther, he's going to come the next morning to ask the king to hang Mordecai on this gallows. But here we see a reflection of our enemy, Satan. He is the one who entered Judas' heart to betray Jesus. He was the one at work in his children to falsely accuse Jesus so that he may be publicly hanged. He is the one who worked in wicked men so that his enemy, the seed of the woman who refused to acknowledge him, Remember the wilderness? If you would just bow down and worship me. So that he, so he thought, could defeat Christ. But Christ hanging on the tree ended up being his own demise. His own hanging. But much different is our Lord Jesus Christ. He was not out to get his enemies, even though he must punish sin. He must punish sin with the fullest justice because He's the judge of all the earth. And yet we read in Scripture that God does not desire the death of the wicked, but that the wicked would turn from their ways and live. And this is why God issues that indiscriminate universal gospel call where He says, Come to Me, you who have no money. Come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine. And bread without money and without price. And this is why Christ said to everyone who could hear, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And he's not saying this to good little boys and girls who have been good. He's speaking to everyone who is on the naughty list. That's everyone who has fallen short of His glory. But the Gospel is offered to all impartially and indiscriminately and truly and well in a, with a well-meaning offer. And our Lord did not seek the punishment and death of us who are His enemies by nature. But rather, He Himself was hung on the tree for us that we may live. Rather than wanting to see us hung, our Lord was hung in our place. That we, may, that we may be forever covered and honored and live in His presence forever. And because of this, beloved, may we be like Him. May we use the things that the Lord has given us in His providence to serve and bless others. May we not be like Haman in promoting ourselves, boasting in ourselves, thinking more highly of ourselves as we ought, making ourselves the center of attention and conversation. May we take a genuine interest in others. May we consider others' interests more important than our own. May we seek to bless and benefit others rather than seek their approval and affirmation and use them to prop up ourselves. May we seek to bear burdens rather than use others for our own sake. May we take the knowledge we have of the Gospel to bless others, to bless fellow believers who are struggling with sin under the burden of the law, filling their guilt and shame to give them comfort and encouragement. And may we take that same message and bring to dying sinners the soul-saving message.
message. May we do this even at the cost of ourselves. Knowing it cost our Lord His life in public shame and in humiliation that, may, that we may be forever blessed with righteousness, honor and eternal life, privileged and honored to feast forever in the presence of the King of Kings. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we do ask that You would help us to seek to bless others, seek to love and serve others, even when it's hard. Father, help us to do this as we consider what You have done for us. You have loved us. You have covered our shame. You have been hung publicly in our place that we would have our shame forever covered, that we would be honored and be welcomed into this banquet in Your presence. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. You have been listening to a message from Trinity Bible Church in Powell, Wyoming. To receive more information about Trinity Bible Church or to support the ministry, go to tbcwyoming.com. That is tbcwyoming.com.